Bob Marley and the Whalers. Could you be loved on 959? It's Kaya Drive. We're on the streets, we're on the air, we're everywhere. Uh, I know Bob Marley is one of your favorites. <laughs> uh, and so, before in the last hour when we were speaking, we obviously touched on the ANC as an organization um, and we promised that we'd come back and in this hour we'd speak about your career. If you're wondering who I'm talking about, so we join in studio by Dr. Zuelim Kiza. If you've got any questions, you can give us a shout zero eight six double zero double zero nine five nine. So let's say maybe twenty twenty one, twenty the whole year during COVID, uh, a lot of people seem to have been very pleased with how you led us uh, as uh, as a minister of health. They had a lot of faith in you, uh, and at some point. I even saw, for example, headlines on Financial Mail, Newsmaker of the Year, uh, all around, uh, even I think globally, people revered how you and the president uh, basically handled COVID for us as a country. Then digital vibes happened. Uh, and there was disappointment across the board. Um, people couldn't believe what had happened much less to get during a time where we needed all the funds that we could get because we were fighting a global pandemic. Uh, and I'm sure you can understand that. Even now, that disappointment, whenever you raise the name, Dr. Zelinki, that does persist. Uh, so maybe let's talk about that uh, and what your views are. Before we even get to the SIU investigation, surely you realize that had it not been for that part of your career, um, you could even say your trail now to leadership would be uncontested, perhaps. Well, uh, maybe it would have been so, but I think you're raising a very important point uh, about mm. this uh, digital vibes investigation. Uh, I think also personally, uh, it's been a very disappointing situation that I'm not proud of at all. Mm. And I also would say I've understood people who have been angry, those who have been disappointed, and those who have become skeptical, uh, because <clears throat> we were in the middle of a very difficult a challenge that the country faced and then certainly uh, you know everyone would have expected that uh, our focus should not be diverted by some such things as what has happened and so from that point of view uh, one has looked back and feel and that's why in fact uh, in the middle of it uh, I actually did uh, issue an apology to the public that as much as uh, the way it had happened uh, I had not uh, uh, done anything wrong uh, on my side, but uh, I did understand why people were upset and why uh, people were disappointed. And I issued an apology at that level. But maybe it would be important just to briefly just go through that so that <clears throat> we can also say, because I think it also has got lots of lessons that we have to deal with. And, and certainly uh, I would understand people who are feeling uh, that they are still negative around that matter. Uh, but I also believe uh, that everything that needed to have been done on this matter has been done to uh, get it to be um, investigated and addressed in the manner that all issues and allegations should be. Well, as a public, we don't feel that way because as a public, we still don't have definitive answers as to what happened, right? So we've read the SIU <clears> report. The SIU report points to 150 million rand in total. 
that was awarded to Digital Vibes. Uh, it then happened that the directors and owners of the company, uh, the Mather family, had links to you specifically uh, as an individual. Some of the beneficiaries also from Digital Vibes happened to be a family member in the name of Udetani. Uh, and then I, your direct benefits, I think, was about 7,000 rand in terms of direct payments that the SIU and the investigation was able to link directly to you. And then through other various subsidiaries, uh, they estimated about maybe 2.5 million that went through different channels that they say went that to a family member of your own as well. So maybe before we get to the details, um, let's just speak about the optics of it all. It would be highly coincidental that a department that you were at the head of uh, then awarded a contract to people that you also knew. Would you agree? The, that would, in terms of its optics, could be a, a problem. And that's why I say one has a, a lot of lessons to learn out of it. Mm. Uh, the reality, though, is that... Uh, uh, the process of award had uh, nothing to do with me and therefore uh, I was happy that it was investigated and it has gone to a point where the uh, officials who were involved in the award of the contract were actually uh, asked and the SIU was the one that gave uh, all the evidence and they could uh, uh, not actually confirm any fraud. They actually uh, found the members to be guilty of negligence, uh, the miscalculation of the contract. And in that process, there was not once anything to suggest that there was ministerial or executive involvement, which is a point that I'd made about it. Although I knew the lady who was involved at the time, uh, she uh, had worked with me before, but actually didn't know the relationship with the company, but I knew her. But in the process, I had not played a role in the award of the contract. And I think that uh, as a fact is the case, but of course the optics are always like, oh, but why, why should it almost look uh, like you had done something about it. Mm. So to clear that, you have to then allow a full process of investigation to deal with that matter. And in my case, uh, it has done it has done uh, that and explained that the people who were involved were actually given uh, sentences uh, or penalties of uh, reduction of salaries, mainly on the basis of the fact that this is a serious matter. Although ultimately. Um, They've not been charged with crime or fraud or anything like that. And so then what about the Daniel Keyes' involvement? Because yes. him, he was directly implicated and directly a beneficiary. Yes. The, there are two issues that uh, uh, related then to, to Tedani. One was the fact that one of the people who was uh, involved in the company had actually... Uh, gifted money to Tedani and that money was a, an arrangement with, between them that had to do with really more uh, their relationship or friendship if one may say so and therefore that uh, did not have anything to do with the contract pay say and uh, that's why I then said that, that uh, money needed to be paid back uh, so that <clears throat> whatever investigation we, we avoid that kind of association in fact in the process of all of that uh, I also was taken up because the matter was re re reported by the newspaper and uh, I actually asked for leave to go and investigate and, and as I went to it I then found that uh, it was indeed true but that uh, the 
role of the Dani the, the, in the process of the uh, uh, contract, this uh, Digital Vibes contract. He was not part of the contract, was not part of the uh, company. He was not a subcontractor of the company. He was just associated with the one individual. So that was the one aspect. But uh, in the process, because of the people being related or linking somewhere else, uh, some of the issues that got involved had to do with transactions because one of the fellows who was, uh, was uh, doing a business there wanted to do work uh, in the farm and also was involved uh, in the purchase of animals. And so, you know, that process is what created the very ne wide network at that level. Uh, that, uh, as far as we would also be aware, was not all linked to the contract uh, as it was originally given. So it, it just becomes one of those things that one learns lessons to say, must always uh, you know, be uh, vigilant, ask questions, and also discourage, even if it is not directly linked, but if it would create an impression, then you need to actually avoid that. So that, for me, is uh, one of the major lessons out of the process. Then the other aspects <clears throat> related to uh, something to do with um, uh, money that went into a house. Now, again, that was explained because the um, uh, the uh, a staff member who was involved was actually linked to uh, a, friend, a friendship with some of the people who worked in the company. Now, those two matters that relate to my son in the house were actually taken to Parliament, and Parliament asked me to give all the answers about it. And this was the Ethics Committee. The same answers that I'd given to the um, SIU were actually viewed, reviewed by the Parliamentary Ethics Committee and it cleared me on that and did say that this matter is closed because the people who are involved, they could track that there was a relationship uh, amongst them and that that issue didn't have anything to do with me. So as far as I would be concerned, that part was closed by that investigation. But what is important is that uh, I did subject myself to that process of investigation by Parliament and had the results been otherwise, I would have had to take responsibility and resign from Parliament. But the fact that it was cleared meant I actually can continue working in Parliament. So it becomes one of those lessons that one can look back and say, going forward in the future, I must always watch out for these kinds of things. But if it had not been cleared by Parliament, then of course I would have had to get out. So I think it's important when people are criticizing us, we must also acknowledge that there's a reason why we would get criticized. I also acknowledge that there has to be a lot of accountability. People must look at us and not take anything for granted, ask questions. And if that happens, we can't object. We need to know that is the nature of our environment, that people must hold us accountable. And I've accepted that. So there will be those who will understand the explanation. There will be those who will still feel very uneasy about it and very uncomfortable. But my view is that I have learned lessons out of it. And going forward, uh, I also want to make sure that uh, we can deal with those issues so that they, they don't recur. So the context is also pretty important. And when we come back, I want to delve deeper into that context. Uh, we join the studio by Dr. Zuelim Kize. Uh, if you've got any questions, feel free to shoot them our way. 86 959 You can give us a call. Or you can send us a WhatsApp voice note on 63 And now. And now. Back to the music. Back to the music. Kaya. 959. On the street. On the end. Welcome back to Car Drive. You just joined us. We are joined in studio by Dr. Zuelim Keys as a guest. If you've got any questions, you can send them through 086 or send us a voice note on 63 
Before we went to uh, the traffic and then went to an ad break, Dr. Mkiza, you were speaking about digital vibes. Uh, and I said, well, the context is also pretty important, uh, even though there has been an SIU report that was written. Uh, you have also presented yourself to the Parliamentary Committee, the Ethics Committee, uh, and they found that there was no evidence directly linking you to that. In our country, especially with our history, uh, we just literally completed um, the state capture inquiry where a lot of people came forward. And as part of the evidence, we heard of certain individuals who were trading their proximity to power for their own benefit. Uh, again, there hasn't been much tangible evidence there, and there's been no prosecutions thus far. But I think we can all surmise that the state was captured and indeed there was corruption in some of those relationships. When you then look at the country within that respect, uh, and it's even happened with Mosasa, for example, including our current president, also happened to be his son, who received 500,000 rand and benefited from that. Do you then not see why South Africans would be concerned, especially if you're running for uh, now president of the ANC, which would ultimately mean that you could be president of the country? That would be an even more responsibility given to you, even more power that you'd have as the head of the executive. Uh, And so then if people around you could then benefit without your knowledge, what is stopping you or stopping them from benefiting in the future? Well, I think, as I've said, the main issue is just to be more vigilant in such circumstances. Uh, Although uh, I've been uh, in the public uh, administration for almost 20 years, uh, over that period, we've never really had this kind of thing. So now that I've uh, seen such an example of a, a challenge that gives very difficult optics then I think that it's something that we must just be aware that every now and again we must be you know, watching how to prevent that. But there are certain issues that may be difficult to even um, <clears throat> deal with. If uh, people that, that come to look for contracts in the department are people that you know, it's easier if you are involved directly. Then you can declare the interest, you can actually recuse yourself, you can say, I I know so and so, and so on. But there are many times where I had sitting in that department, uh, I had to sign <clears throat> the appointment of somebody and as I look at them, uh, somebody was involved in the process of uh, uh, appointing them, they were involved in the uh, uh, you know, uh, issuing of the uh, uh, contract, they were involved in the appointment, uh, appointing them as a board. Uh, as long as the process is proper, then I have to actually authorize it. But in instances where we were to employ people, I found many people were my colleagues that I'd known before, uh, but they needed to be employed, and the employment had nothing to do with the fact that I knew them. Then I would declare, uh, you know, uh, interest and say, uh, I know this particular person, and to this point, and uh, they must also declare. So in this case, <clears throat> the declaration uh, does not become easy to do if. Uh, the process is happening in a different part of the administration, especially because uh, as a minister, you're not allowed to sit in the procurement process to vet people who get uh, involved in the procurement. So the only time you will know is when the name, uh, the individual has come up that this is the person uh, that would have been appointed. Sometimes you know the you know the person, but you don't know the company. So those issues will always arise. And I think what's important is that as soon as something goes wrong, you have to deal with it. Now in this case. 
for example, the matter was uh, flagged by the Auditor General, uh, and uh, I had no clue what uh, that anything had gone wrong there. <clears throat> then uh, I then had to uh, ask the Director General to investigate using an external independent forensic auditor and uh, also look into the way that the thing was uh, was um, um, the, the the contract was uh, awarded. Uh, awarded. Yes. Now they did this investigation, and somewhere along the line, the SIU became interested, and then uh, I said to them, "We'll offer them a full cooperation." The report was uh, it came up. It didn't show anything about fraud. It actually showed, uh, you know, negligence. It showed uh, uh, the uh, calculation and overcharging. Uh, that was part of it. So we then went ahead to say they will, will discipline the individuals, and then we went ahead to say we shall retrieve the money that um, had been, uh, you know, uh, spent on them. But the SIU then uh, uh, suddenly then said <clears throat> they would wanted to, they wanted to do that. We must hand over the report, and that's how I handed over the report to the SIU. Uh, in that process as well, uh, I was keeping the president very well informed about it, and I think it's important for me to say uh, the president had to be informed, and uh, I had to cooperate with the processes of the SIU. Uh, then, uh, when the name of my family, my son was was raised, I then said I'll stay out of the investigation to make sure there's objectivity. And that, again, I think is a responsible approach to dealing with it. Uh, when I was then invited to, uh, be, to be interviewed by the SIU, I then realized that their approach was problematic. They were not taking the evidence that we're submitting to them. They seem to have already preconceived ideas, and they approached this uh, uh, you know, investigation with a fixed mind of finding me guilty anyway. <clears throat> then I raised the matter to the president. So when the uh, evidence was given, uh, they just simply just sent the, the report to the president. The same uh, evidence that clear, cleared me in parliament was actually given to the SIU and they never really acknowledged it. So as we sit now, that matter uh, that was uh, involving the family was cleared in parliament. The issue of uh, uh, where they made a, a, an allegation that I pressurized the staff, that issue was actually dealt with in the internal uh, disciplinary process and no evidence whatsoever. Uh, again, now my name never even featured in that and the SIU was giving the evidence. The last one, the uh, SIU said I had done, uh, I had uh, breached a resolution of cabinet by appointing a committee, a, 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 a contractor, a private company to do the communication. Now, Department of Health has been doing that over the years and there's nothing new there. But then I said to SIU, give me the resolution. They don't have it. And then <clears throat> I knew they didn't have it. Initially, they said, well, it's, it's classified. I said, no, the president can declassify it for you. Then they had to openly admit that they actually don't have such a resolution. Now, how on earth do you accuse someone of breaking a resolution when you don't have it? So that, again, I told them it was a lie. I knew it was not uh, uh, the, the, such a resolution didn't, uh, didn't exist. So all of those three instances are the reason why I actually said the court must set it aside. So I think out of all of that, when uh, any member of the executive gets an complaint, you have to ensure that the in, it's investigated. It is objectively investigated. When the <clears throat> when you uh, have uh, uh, the reports coming back, you need to implement the, 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 the recommendations and make sure that there is a, a due process that gets followed. And in this case, it was done. When uh, there were issues where there was a direct accusation for me, I said to the president, I'm going to 
resign so that I can deal with this matter. I also don't want to deal with a matter that's personal using government resources. So that's why I resigned. And I said, I'm going to cite the president because he was the one who's appointed the SIU. So again, I believe all of these issues are steps that a responsible leader must do. And that's what I have done. And so if in future myself or any other members have to face accusation, we must accept that uh, you have to be investigated. And again, I'll still face investigation if there's any other future allegations. And if there's an allegation that's involved, it doesn't matter whether it's about family or people that you're close to, you must allow the investigative process to go through. So I think that I've done everything that a responsible leader should do. And of course, I said I've learned lessons. Join in studio by Dr. Zuelim Kiese. If you've got any questions, please send them our way. 086-00-00-959. Kaya 959. Welcome back to Kaya Drive. We join in studio by Dr. Zuelim Kiese. And we are taking all of your questions, all of your calls. 086-00-00-959. You can hit us up and send us a voice note as well on 0636-880-959. Dr. Mkise, have you heard of the term Mr. 10%? Uh, I've I've heard it from one uh, reporter, one presenter. Mm. I think it was JJ Taban. Yes, yes. Uh, he had taken it from uh, President Tawombegi, actually. Although President Tawombegi did not mention your name specifically, uh, and then there was obviously some narrative that permeated that ever since you have been in leadership, even in KZN. Uh, if there's a contract that gets awarded, uh, you require a stake in such. Uh, I suppose it didn't help that you were also the Treasurer General of the ANC at some point. Uh, and <laughs> when you are that person, money then flows through you. Uh, so what is your response to something like that? Well, firstly, it's a lie. Mm. It's a lie. And I would say um, anybody who says so they must actually show the transaction that they're talking about mm. I, I'd never really been involved in any 10% uh, deal anywhere uh, in fact when I worked uh, in Guazul uh, actually the reputation was uh, mm. understand? because of how strict we were mm. uh, we started a whole program there to deal with the issues of people who were corrupt and so on and the the uh, problems that happened on through computers and so on uh, were to uh, take a program to make people acknowledge that they have to take responsibility you can't say i walked away and somebody did a transaction transaction in my in my uh, my computer but as a treasurer general everybody knows i was very clear that uh, the the donations are non-transactional we don't want any uh, we don't want money if it's got conditions and we will actually be the first ones to report if we think there's corruption on any on any situation so i think does the source of the money though for example if i were to donate does the source of the money matter or did it at that point um, uh, if we can get uh, to know what you do as a business, we uh, we would obviously uh, understand where the source of money is. It wasn't quite frequent that we would get money. We don't know where it came from. So we always wanted to know. And, t- and, I, and I raise that question, sorry to interrupt, yeah. because uh, Edwin Sodi, for example, was a regular donor to the ANC. Yes, exactly. Later, it came out that he had done a transaction with the Free State, which was deemed to be, um, I'll use the word corrupt, but the awarding of that contract uh, procedure, proper procedure had not been followed. So let's just call it irregularly awarded. Yes. And a large portion of that money ended up being donated to the ANC. 
Yes, but uh, Edwin Sodi was uh, running a construction company, and certainly when the matter, when the donations were given to us, it was given on the basis that uh, Edwin Sodi had actually been involved in a construction company. So we would, I would generally meet people were donating, uh, you know, it was, I don't recall instances where people donated money and we didn't know where it came from. We would never accept it like that. So uh, the question of the 10%, I think it's just mischievous. Mm. It's mischievous, it's a lie. And actually, uh, I would challenge whoever, next time you hear it, you must say to them, they must give you the transaction that they're referring to. Mm. There was certainly, there was never a 10% uh, a name that I had never known of it uh, when I was in Guazul Natal. And as our treasurer general there was never such a, a, a situation and as we were talking about issues of corruption you will notice <clears throat> that uh, the issue of uh, Mr. Sodi came around because he donated the money but I actually have a, a letter that I wrote to him to thank him for the money uh, and so there was no other uh, you know and no other uh, allegation that involved uh, the Treasurer General of the ANC, despite the huge amount of money we were to raise. <clears throat> so you can be a Treasurer General, you can be a, uh, a minister, and there will be no corruption that is associated with you. But when people make allegations, uh, I think they're just taking liberties in this case. So I would reject this thing with the contempt it deserves, the 10% uh, allegation. Mm. There's an NEC meeting uh, currently scheduled for Friday. Uh, whether or not it will end up happening, I don't know. <coughs> Things are changing at a very rapid pace these days. Uh, in that NEC meeting, there's expectations, for example, that some reports from the NEC Ethics Committee may get tabled. Uh, and for me, even as we speak, there's also an issue that's hanging over the president's head also regarding money in Palapala, right? Uh, there's a report uh, that was uh, recently submitted. I think it was ready last week, Wednesday, if not mistaken. The ANC has taken the decision as the NEC that you will vote not to adopt that report. When we come back, I want to find out why the ANC would want to do something like that. Uh, and is it not an abuse of the majority you enjoy in Parliament? Because as you said... You see, when we send MPs to parliaments, we are hoping that they will be representatives of us as individuals and as citizens. If they then clam up as a group, uh, that's not necessarily a member of parliament. It is now a cabal. Sure. Uh, and so I want to get into that discussion after this. And now, and now, back to the music. Back to the music. Kaya, 955. On the street. On the end. Welcome back to Car Drive. Uh, we join in the studio by Dr. Zulim Kize. Uh, he's going to be with us for at least the next 45 minutes. So if you've got any questions, please let us know. 86 959 uh, And before we went to the ad break and the traffic, we were speaking about the NEC. Uh, the meeting is coming up on Friday. And then, of course, the parliamentary sitting uh, that is next week regarding uh, Palapala, amongst other things. So the NC currently runs on the concept of uh, democratic centralism, which is actually unconstitutional because there was even a constitutional ruling that as a member of parliament, you should actually vote with your conscience as opposed to being told by the NEC what the vote should be. Maybe let's start there. Uh, why do you do that as a party? Well, let's first understand what democratic centralism is supposed to be. Mm. You have a committee or you have a, a, a meeting where 
all the members of the organization are uh, expected to express their views, debate the issue, differ, and move towards getting a solution. And in the process, they persuade each other. They get to a point where they can those who are opposed begin to see the matter differently and they believe that this matter, the, the, the proposal they had is not necessarily the best solution and then they ultimately accept the reasoning of those who had a different view and by the time we get to the end there is now a kind of general understanding and agreement that this is how this matter needs to be concluded. So when you move out of that meeting you have actually exhausted all the angles we have discussed everything so you you tend to have this is how we're going to move forward it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, people didn't have different views but it means now we've agreed on an approach and once you take that matter out the democratic centralism basically means that we will then use that as approach as we move forward uh, based on this agreement but everybody's views is now considered in this discussion so it helps to manage big organizations it helps to manage diverse views it helps to manage uh, to a point where you will then say you know uh, we've synthesized with every input uh, you know a way forward <clears throat> but um the challenge uh, in the last nec meeting was that uh, the announcement that got made uh, did not really follow that kind of process uh, and uh, uh, I, I was in that meeting uh, a number of people who still wanted to express themselves and raise issues and uh, influence the direction of the meeting and the conclusion uh, were cut out and so I find that this last meeting uh, really does not comply with that kind of uh, uh, you know point that we are raising of uh, you know a binding decision at democratic centralism because you know we normally would say once everybody's views have been expressed now this is the way forward but when people have actually been stopped from expressing themselves then it's a problem and this i've raised and i objected to the meeting being closed i know my way because there are many people who had actually not spoken and uh, for example uh, one of the minister minister pando was saying i'm not leaving before i have a chance to speak and we went to say but why to close the meeting is still early they say you know they this would have taken probably another 45 minutes or so and so on and so on so this meeting has got that problem. But having said so, uh, let me then say the approach to the members of parliament is again supposed to be, we've discussed this matter, <clears throat> all the views have been expressed, all the angles have been expressed, then you engage the members of parliament. You need to respect them on the basis that they are actually individual public representatives whose discretion, whose, uh, you know, uh, 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 decision making is actually a part of a parliamentary process then they would discuss the matter and once they are done with the discussion they would say well we believe that the the resolution of the house structure gives us good enough direction to go forward and therefore that's what we take but they might raise concern and then the matter might need to be t taken back to say no 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 there are things that have not been considered like we had uh, when we we're talking about the um, termination of uh, pregnancy Everybody 
uh, was involved and was uh, engaged. And then uh, the leadership had taken a view, but then uh, member parliamentarians raised issues and they were to a reconsideration of how the matter should be approached. So when you deal with parliamentarians, you have to balance the fact that they need to be fully informed of what the political structure would have decided, but they must also be fully engaged so that their views as also representing uh, community, they must also be infused in this process. Now, going into this um, um, meeting, I, I consider that uh, the, that process uh, you know, should have been followed uh, properly, and it has not been really followed pro- 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 properly. Uh, you, you cannot manage this matter in a way that suggests that there's a disrespect of under, or undermining of public representatives, because that devalues parliament as such. So, um, the discussion that we had, for me, uh, I still want to raise it in the next meeting because I think the meeting was not properly handled, not properly uh, you know, concluded. But this is not the first time something like this has happened. For example, if you go back even to a previous administration, there were certain instances, in fact, many of them, where opposition parties will have raised a motion and the NC would close ranks in parliament uh, to protect the party as a whole and its leadership. I bring this up just as a matter of principle because if we are to say the digital vice matter was dealt with in Parliament and you were cleared, then we need to have transparency into how these matters are dealt with in Parliament. We also don't know what happens at NEC meetings. All we get told is what the SG comes out and says after a meeting has happened. But the, whether or not the vociferous discussion has taken place, we are none the wiser. Well, look, the closing of ranks is more about us agreeing, all of us, that this is the way to go about it. And therefore, we think that the position the particular leader has taken is actually uh, in keeping with the principles and poli- of the organizations and the policies of the organization. And therefore, we, we identify with that. So when you call it closing ranks, it basically means we've discussed it and we believe it's a correct approach. Now, uh, Parliament is supposed to be a transparent uh, institution, and actually the ANC is uh, supposed to be, uh, as a ruling party there, the main uh, protector or defender of parliamentary processes, and the ANC should be uh, the champion of constitutionalism, of uh, you know rule of law, of accountability, of uh, you know fair processes, uh, and in this case, uh, the parliament. Uh, had been criticized before for the way that they had handled a number of uh, instances. So the Constitutional Court, for example, uh, rebuked Parliament for not holding the leaders into account. Um, the Zondo Commission also uh, raised the question of, uh, uh, you know, how do we implement uh, the um, uh, uh, party uh, line uh, without considering that those members of Parliament have to be uh, they have to take a view based on how they understand the matters. Now, that needs to be respected. But in addition, Judge uh, Jafta uh, made a ruling that, look, Parliament, because it's politics, you can get parties throwing uh, 100 uh, motions of no confidence against the president. So they, then it was, it was recommended that there must be a process to eliminate those uh, motions of no confidence so that you don't have to spend time on frivolous motions. And once you've got that, you must then have a process that clears it so that you you decide early whether you need it or you don't need it. And in this case, a process was uh, designed which allowed a 
panel of uh, very eminent jurists to uh, uh, assess the issues the allegations that were raised against the president and then beyond that point uh, if there was certainly an issue uh, uh, you know uh, um, uh, a case to be answered then of course the president then is given an opportunity to submit the evidence uh, to deal with the matter now where i sit i actually don't understand what is the problem with that because uh, from uh, you know the point of the parliamentary process the speaker made the call that this is the process that's going to be followed now the anc as the ruling party uh, actually what is part of that process now to get that process to move on to me it's about saying if there are allegations like in this case are very serious uh, those allegations we must allow the president to actually get them to be cleared and the president has said i'm innocent out of all of this and there is no reason we must doubt that and therefore some people have said this the report is weak and some of that the, the report is flawed and like i've been demonstrating if it's flawed if it, the report is weak it may be easier to even dismiss it you bringing the proper evidence so i believe that process there's nothing wrong with it and so I, it needs to actually be allowed to move on that's why i still have to raise the issue within the african national congress national executive committee because i think uh, you know there is nothing procedurally wrong with moving from that spot uh, that, that that step to the next step as it were now with that uh, in mind i also think that we must uh, always understand that the people that were selected to into the panel are very you know senior juries with impeccable cred uh, credentials uh, you know uh, judge uh, ngobo uh, is a former uh, chief justice uh, were it not because of the age and so on uh, you know uh, he would have actually or the time the time he had the served, term he, limit, would have, yeah. he would have continued all right and, and to prove that he's actually a, a judge of the supreme court in namibia and he's a visiting lecture a lecturer in law in constitutional law in the u.s for six universities harvard mm -hmm. cornell and etc etc now and since his youth he was known as a brilliant uh, legal student as it were so i'm saying uh, you, we can't cast aspersions to the process or the participants simply because of our disagreement with the outcome. I'm going to ask you to just hold that thought because we need to go to news. But when we come back, uh, I want to delve deeper into this process uh, and how it's being dealt with, especially just pertaining to you. Because if we wanted to ask questions about the presidential issue, we'd invite the president over. So obviously... You can't answer for the president, but there's certain questions that I have for you specifically. If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za.